This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Happy Wednesday, Secret Squad. I'm Robin McGraw, and this is a, well, polite new episode of I've Got a Secret. Etiquette authority Mrs. Judith Martin has been writing her Miss Manners column since 1978. This column, giving advice on etiquette-related matters, is distributed in more than 200 newspapers in the United States and abroad. She is here to talk about the role of good etiquette in a society where outrage, social media anonymity, and cancel culture run wild. This is the secret to minding your manners. Welcome. Thank you. I am so, so excited about this episode. It is truly needed for all of our listeners and for, well, everyone. And I have been so excited about not only meeting you, and sadly, it's virtual. We can't be together in person today, but I'm still thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you. This is just a wonderful topic to be talking about today. So where did your knowledge for etiquette originate from? From the American household as it used to be. Children, child rearing was just teaching basic uh, consideration for others and um, not against individuality or asserting oneself, but also having some regard for the community. And there been a little disconnect there lately, as you mentioned. The basic bargain of civilization is that um, we all want to be free and to express ourselves, but the bargain is we restrain the more offensive uh, impulses we might have because we also want to live in a pleasant community and hope that others will restrain their more offensive things. That's a little bit been lost. You know, I write an etiquette column. People are not asking me how they should behave. They're asking me how they can defend themselves from people who are being rude to them. Wow. I I can understand that in this day and time. And that's, I don't know if I want to say that's kind of sad or I guess it's really not surprising to me at all because bad manners and, and bad behavior is just running rampant these days. Well, I mean, we, as I say, we all want to be able to be free and to express ourselves and so on. So there should be a kind of compromise there where um, you agree to a um, certain standard of civility because that's how we all want to live. Right. I'm curious about one thing. When you started this column, when you started doing this and focusing on this, was it because it really interested you or is this a generational thing? Did you have a family member, your mother or anyone else that passed this down to you? Well, everybody's mother and father passed civilization down. That's called child rearing. (laughs) Uh, But um, no, actually, I started this to amuse myself. Um, It's a humor column, you may have noticed. And um, I, at the time, I was a full-time drama and uh, film critic at the Washington Post, looking at the same sort of things that one looks at in real life. 
um, how people behave, what they say, even costume setting, all of those things. And to amuse myself on the side, um, I started writing little essays about uh, the more ludicrous uh, aspects of human behavior. And then I got flooded with mail with questions. And that's how it turned into a question and answer column. So yeah. I understand that your two children joined the column as well. I think that's wonderful. Well, it's sort of a version of um, I mistook uh, take your children to work for put your children to work. And where else would I find colleagues that I know were very well brought up? Oh, I love that answer. I love that. So as a mother, I imagine that you really drove manners and etiquette home for your children. What were your parenting techniques to raise polite children? A polite household. The family dinner table where people discuss things in a civilized fashion, uh, where you learn to at least pretend an interest in what everybody else is doing. Uh, n normal upbringing. I mean, yes, people used to, particularly when my children were little, um, uh, my daughter, who is a comedian, she was Second City, um, said, uh, people would say to her, now, do you have to behave yourself at home as if this were some terrible oppression? And she used to say, you bet your Aunt Fanny I do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, people try to sabotage that as if it's some terrible punishment. Um, it's a normal household. Yes. I mean, it's, it, it really is a normal uh, parenting skill. You want to teach your children One to be polite. Child rearing. Yeah. yeah. So that you get along in the world. Yeah. I have to say that my children had a terrific advantage in that respect uh, because they had been made aware of not only their own feelings, but other people's reactions to them. And so um, uh, they were very good at getting into schools and uh, all kinds of interview situations um, because of that. It's just that um, you have to know and take into account what other people are thinking. You don't have to give into it if you don't want to, but you should know that. And um, they got very good at that. I love that. Philip and I have two sons, now grown men, but I can remember from the moment they were born, I knew it was my responsibility as their mother to teach them really how to be perceived in the world, how to act and how to not only act at home around us, but to always teach them how to act around other people when we were not around. That was as important to me as it was to, yeah. to teach them how to behave when we were around, when they were at home with us. That wasn't the most well, important. Formal manners and informal manners and for different contexts. Exactly. But, uh, yes, absolutely. And, and the well-meaning parents who say, oh, just be yourself and don't care what anybody thinks um, are not doing them much of a service because you end up caring what other people think. That's exactly right. I can remember when they were young and they would have their friends over and their friends would be... Uh, unruly and and just unkind or say mean things and not be polite, not be respectful. 
at the table when we would be eating, just numerous things. I could make a long list. And when they would go home, I took advantage of that. I would point out to our boys, did you notice how he acted at the table? Did you notice how he disrespected your mother? Did you notice this? I took advantage of misbehaved Mm -hmm. friends when they were in our home. When I started this column, I thought, oh, it'll be for old cranks like myself. As I say, I was just doing it on the side. It wasn't my main job. And I found that an awful lot of my mail is from young people because they were not taught how to behave. And then they suddenly get out in the world where they want to impress boyfriends, girlfriends, bosses, um, uh, admissions officers, whoever. And they were not taught that, which is a shame. Yes. And that's why I use them as bad examples. So when you're at Charlie's house, you have to show them what you've been taught at home. And maybe you could be the good example and and be a teacher yourself, not to put pressure on them to always be teaching, but to always show what they've been taught. So do you think that social media influences rude behavior in children these days? Uh, Well, the anonymity of it does, where you're not responsible for if you are nasty to someone face to face, you're going to get some feedback. Um, but it's and you get feedback on social media, of course, but it's not direct like that. And it's not uh, personal. And so that has taught a way of being able to let loose in ways that you know would be dangerous if you did it in person. That's so true. So in this age of technology, do you think that we are becoming a less polite society? Um, I hate to say that about history because people have a very false sense of history that once upon a time we all behaved. Well, I don't think so. But, um, and of course, the technology has done wonders. Here are you and I talking miles apart and it's wonderful. And during the pandemic, um, I, we could talk to all kinds of people whom we sequestered at home or unable to see. So I certainly don't want to condemn the technology, but the idea that you can um, throw out um, unpleasant, offensive uh, statements and not be held responsible uh, is, is a bad thing. True. And on the flip side of that, I think it's great that when you, someone, especially someone known, someone who may influence a lot of people, young and old, Uh, does something that gets written about or does something that they regret. Technology nowadays allows them to to give an apology, to maybe say, I'm sorry for what I said, or that's not what I meant, or that's what I meant, and I've learned from it. And I think we, like you said. They say, I'm sorry you took it that way, is a meaning that, oh, you oversensitive person. It's not my fault. (laughs) Yeah. Apologies are a good thing. They're not enough, but they are a good start. That's so true. And do you think that we've become more polite as a society in many ways or in any way? Certainly in the way that it is now understood that politeness is due to all people. Um, When people falsely believe that everybody used to be polite, which of course is ridiculous, but Um, politeness was considered obligatory only to some people in some situations, Uh, often uh, not to women, often not to low-level employees, and and so on, and or uh, um, race, gender, everything came into it. 
politeness was something you saved for your little group. And that is being uh, hacked away at. Can I just tell you, I just thought of something too. I don't know, it stands out to me and always has. It breaks my heart when I see someone that I know or that just I'm acquainted with maybe take advantage of being rude or or unkind to someone they love and then turn around and be so polite and so kind to a stranger. Sometimes I think it, I wish that they would stop and think, oh, wow, why, why do I have an opportunity to show kindness and politeness to this person I know and love? Why don't I take advantage of that? Well, people keep saying uh, they want to be able to be themselves at home and they're talking about their worst selves. And then if they're going to go to a fancy restaurant, they're suddenly worried about their matters. And I say, you know, you could pick another restaurant if you've made a scene in one and you can go to another. Uh, You can pick another family, too, but it's expensive and difficult uh, emotionally to do it. It, your, Your home life is where manners, which are not formal manners, but where manners are most important because you want those people to like you. They live there too. (laughs) That's so true. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. We do something in every podcast that I really enjoy, and I think it's a good time to do it right now. We have something called Drink of the Day, and we create this drink for our guest and for our topic. And so this drink is in honor of you and our topic, and we named this drink the Please and Thank You. (laughs) So for today's drink, we're doing my spin on the Elegant Lemon Drop Martini. So for this drink, and you can see, sadly, we're not together, so we won't be able to share this drink, but it's 2.5 ounces of citrus vodka, one half ounce fresh lemon juice, one half ounce Contro, one half ounce simple syrup, freshly grated lemon zest for garnish. Put all ingredients into a shaker and shake until frosty. Strain and serve up in a fancy martini glass, using your freshly grated lemon zest as a beautiful finishing touch. So, Elise, and thank you. Enjoy. Cheers. So for all of you listeners at home, you can go to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com, and you can see this beautiful please and thank you martini made up. It's just gorgeous. And you can also get the recipe and serve these at home. So in honor of you and this podcast today, a please and thank you, Martini. Thank you. I'm highly honored. 
Okay, so I know that you say there is no circumstance where it is okay to be rude. To you, where is that line between assertive and rude? I'd love to know. I do not believe that politeness and good manners require you to let everybody else walk all over you. And uh, as I say, uh, most of my mail is from people who have been treated rudely and there are ways to defend oneself, um, but not rude ways. I mean, that's the thing. People say, they'll give me an example of rudeness and then they wanna be rude right back or if not violent right back. Um, and I say, you're against rudeness. You would just double the amount of rudeness in the world. But there are certainly are ways to make your point. And I toss those off all the time. And people say, well, that's passive aggressive. So, well, it's better than aggressive aggressive. <laughs> I love that. It's so true. How do you feel about people saying they're just be, I'm air quoting here, they're just being honest. Is that a real excuse? Yeah, it means I'm about to be rude. If someone says, do you want me to be perfectly honest with you? Run, because it's not going to be pretty what follows. Honesty is certainly a virtue, but it is not the only virtue. As you learn in child rearing, I'm sure we all went through this. You tell your child, always be honest. And then um, the child says, isn't this the fat lady you hate? <laughs> and you say, uh, well, there are other considerations other than honesty, which does not require you to air every nasty thought in your mind. That's so true. I mean, there is such a thing as bite your tongue. I mean, when, instead of being honest, you can bite your tongue and smile. You don't have to tell the whole truth unless you're in court under oath. That's so true. What are some of your tips for articulating your truth politely? Are there ways to phrase things that feel a bit softer? For example, and I hate to use this one, but does this make me look fat? <laughs> uh, it depends on the context. If you're out with your shopping pal who says, yes, that's not for you, and saves you a lot of money buying something. If you're all dressed up and about to go out and you ask your husband this, he should say, you look wonderful. I, I love because that. Because you should feel that. <laughs> well, I agree with you. I love, I love that you said that because seriously, if I ask my girlfriend, does this make me look fat? I'm not saying I know I'm fat. Does this make me look fatter? I guess we should all learn to say, is this flattering on me or unflattering? Yeah. And, and then we and don't put our friend in a, in a bad situation. The truth, but it is not necessary when you're all dressed up for someone to deflate you That's by true. saying, well, that looks terrible on you. That is so true. So really, we shouldn't set ourselves up to be Yeah, hurt. I asked that question, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Don't ask questions to which you do not, you know, you do not want the answer. You know what? I have never, ever, ever asked my husband that question, but I have asked him, sometimes I'll ask him, what do you think of this dress? Or what do you think of this outfit? Because I'm a little undecided. So tell me the truth. Do you, do you like it? Do you like it? Because, and I always follow it up with, because I have something else I can put on right fast. I have another selection. I just want to know your opinion. So I kind of let him off the hook. I tell him, I'm undecided. I kind of like it. I kind of don't. How do you feel about it? Because I, I um, uh, heard some advice once, I forget from whom, but I thought it was very apt from a man who said, if your wife says, 
you say were these shoes or those shoes? You don't say they're both fine. You don't say, I don't care. You say, wait a minute, put on the other pair again. Let me see. And then you say, no, the first pair, because that's the one she wants. I love it. I'll tell you one thing my husband loves for me to do. If we're if it's a special event, I don't do it for everything. We don't actually go out that much, but we'll have a special event. And so I will have, I'll go to my closet and I will pick out two or three different outfits. And I'll do a style show for him like the morning of or the day before. And he loves that. And I say, okay, now I really, really want your honest opinion. I'm going to, I'm going to model three different outfits because there I've narrowed it down. I want to know which one you like. And he'll go, oh, okay. Okay. And he, he actually loves it when I model the entire, well, not, you know, head to toe, I guess, but pretty much the outfits. And he'll go, that's the one. And I will wear the one he says, because he, he sat there and I truly want his opinion. So that's a lot of fun. I don't do it every well, time. That's what you have to distinguish. Does a person truly want your opinion or not? Yes. And most of the time when people say, how do I look? They do not. Yeah, that's <laughs> they right. They're begging for a compliment. <laughs> they want reassurance. Yeah. Yes. So what are the most repeated etiquette issues you're seeing today? Rampant greed is one of them. I get... Uh, many, many letters from people who um, want to extract money or presence in one way or another from other people, from their relatives and friends, and they want me to whitewash it. Um, or who want to charge people for hospitality. You know, I, I want to uh, uh, celebrate uh, my birthday. I'm going out to this restaurant, but I can't afford to pay. I can't afford it. How do I tell my guests that they're paying for it? So I do not whitewash these things. But I hear a lot also from the victims of this saying, do I have to? So this is why um, and how begging came to be rampant in America. I'm really shocked because historically it was not. And historically, even tipping was not um, considered to be something desirable. You work for your wages and you were too proud to accept handouts. But now there are people who, um, uh, and I'm talking about solvent people. I'm not talking about people who are in desperate situations. I'm talking about solvent people who say, here's what I want. Here's my list of things I want people to give me for Christmas. Um, here's, um, I would like you to contribute to, I want to take a trip. I want other people to contribute to it. This is going on all over and it is begging. And we used to be too proud to beg if we didn't absolutely, uh, weren't absolutely starving. It's a huge problem. Now, if people wouldn't go along with it, it would cease, but they do. They're shamed and they feel they have to contribute. Ooh, that's so sad. And, you know, I get people say, I've been invited to a wedding. How much do I have to pay? Meaning um, the, they've set up, the, there's the honeymoon fund, or here's what I want you to buy me. And of course, the, the gift registry is uh, everywhere for all occasions and even non-occasions. And I just had a letter from someone saying, their son is going off to college and when do you have the party where people contribute to what he will have in his dorm room? And I say, 
when your friends start asking you how they can help furnish the dorm room, your friends who are probably also paying tuition or his friends who are also going off to college, um, the idea of asking for things, whether it's cash or things you have selected um, is universal, almost universal in America. Wow. And people feel they have to go along with it. Oh, wow. Well, so I'm sure both of us agree on this. When someone has a registry for their wedding, for their baby shower, whatever, do you agree you're not compelled to go to that just because it's there when you're invited to the celebration, when you're invited to the shower, to the party? You don't have to go to that registry, correct? I am one step beyond you. I, I'm against registries. I think it's, it's asking people, it's your shopping list, and you're asking other people to spend the money on your shopping list. I don't know about you, but when I, I still remember who gave me what for my wedding. Um, there are things in my house. Oh, yes, that was from Aunt So-and-So. This was from that friend. They selected them themselves. Now, were there some things that were maybe not what I would have picked myself? Sure. But you knew it was done. You knew they were trying. And it meant something emotionally. The whole question of giving an accepting presence has been sabotaged by the exchange of shopping lists. The idea was, you remember that people, the phrase, it's the thought that counts. And people would say, nah, it's not really a thought that counts. It's getting stuff. But if the, you remove the element of thoughtfulness, sort of, I've kind of noticed what you like and I've noticed your taste and I'm hoping this will please you. If once you remove that, what's left? We could uh, just shop for ourselves. I love that's how you feel because I feel the same way. Do you know, I absolutely love getting a card from someone because I love shopping for cards. I could stand for hours and read cards until I find just the right one I want to give someone. So when I receive a card, I feel that they read cards, many cards, until they found just the one they wanted me to have. I could save you some labor. Yes. You could take a blank piece of paper and write out what you want them to have. I love that too. And I've done that too. I've done that before. I've written personal notes as part of their card on their gift or just for them. I love that. But I also love it when I know that they've they've picked a card, and I especially love it when they've gone to the trouble of underlining parts of the card. Like, oh, this really made me think of you. And I, I just love reading cards and finding just the right one that sometimes they're funny, sometimes they're sentimental. I just, I just love it. So to me, the perfect gift is a card. Just love it. Does etiquette evolve or does the framework always stay the same? Um, of course it evolves, uh, life changes. Um, but there is an underpinning of, I, I make a distinction between manners and etiquette. Manners are the principles and they have a moral component um, of kindness to others and, and so on, fairness. Um, and that's eternal. And, uh, but etiquette, of course, it's, I mean, you can see it's different in different countries, it's different in different groups, it's different in different contexts for the same people. Um, we didn't have an etiquette of uh, the internet, well, of course, we haven't got much of one. Uh, when we didn't have an internet, um, there are um, uh, manners that are 
no longer uh, relevant. Um, yes, it changes all the time. Although, may I point out I'm in charge of change because I have people who say, well, nobody, very typically, nobody cares if you answer invitations anymore. I say, yeah, only hosts care if you answer invitations. Or nobody writes thank you letters anymore because nobody cares. The person who gave you the thing cares. So when people understand, which I try to keep a secret, that manners do evolve and change, they think they can do this unilaterally. And they always do it in their own favor, of course. So that's why I think, no, I'm in charge. When I, I'm looking at both sides of it. Yes, yes. After doing this for so long, are there any areas of your personal life that you still find difficult to navigate? No. We've all had difficult times. The pandemic True. was a difficult time for all of us. True. Um, and we go through the normal ups and downs of life. I love that. Okay, so that unfortunately brings us to the end of the episode. So, but before we wrap up, I have one more question for you. I started this podcast to share life-changing secrets. Do you have one major secret you've learned that you would like to share with the listeners that's changed your life, might change someone else's? Well, um, as a newspaper reporter, which I was for many years, um, I learned that there are no secrets. That if two people know something, it's possible to find it out. <laughs> so that's one thing. So the secret is, if you want to keep it a secret, don't tell the first person. I love that. I love that. That's so true. And there should be. I, I get better some people who say, I, you know, I just told this person and she betrayed me by telling someone else. Well, you just betrayed yourself by telling her. So. Oh, I so agree. I so agree. I think that's so true. And, and don't you just hate it when someone says, I'm going to tell you something, but don't tell anyone else. I'm like, whoa, don't tell me. <laughs> I don't want that pressure. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's wonderful. So Secret Squad, head on over to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for more from this episode. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.